Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Prophetic Mentality Podcast. I am your host, Amr Mabruk. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Munir, who is in the guest seat because we actually have a special guest. Mashallah. My <laughs> old roommate, Salman Khan. Assalamu alaikum, Salman. Salam. Uh, good to have you, man. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Also, a uh, fun fact, Munir is also my ex-roommate. Um, ex-roommate. So, yeah. Ex-roommate. And Salman was the manager of the building we used to live in. So, Salman. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, fun times back in college. <clears throat> so, inshallah, this episode is just going to serve as a season recap for the first, you know, batch of episodes we released for season one. We're just going to run through them real quick, talk about lessons learned, you know, what we what we enjoyed about each podcast, uh, takeaways, that kind of thing. And also, we'll talk about looking ahead, what we have been recording for season two, our plans for the podcast and the platform in general. So yeah, and we decided to bring Salman on because, you know, he's been an avid listener. I think he's listened to every, every, um, every episode except for one. So we won't, we won't dog him too hard. Yeah. <laughs> he's busy. He's a busy man. <laughs> Also, he's been there since the beginning, you know, since the whole inception of the podcast idea when it, the podcast had a completely different name than Prophetic Mentality. There was like another name, which I will not reveal because it, it was apparently too inflammatory. Um, so maybe maybe down the line, you know, we'll find out what that name is. When you're too is. big to cancel. When I'm too big to cancel. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. OK, so we could just uh, start it off, I guess. Um with episode one, episode one which was actually by the way these episodes were not released in the same order that they were recorded they probably caught on to that when we said this is our first episode of <laughs> cyrus <laughs> yeah and like they would get progressively better in quality and then the episode would kind of dip in quality and then it would like go really bad and then really good yeah so by the time we figured it out um that was like the sheikh mustafa i think was the last one we recorded I yeah i think that was the one that was like the best looking one. I mean, Cyrus's was the last one we recorded. Or sorry, the first one we recorded. And that one just... Uh, lessons learned. Lessons learned. Yeah, lessons learned. All right. So anyway, Sheikh Anadine, we'll let you take the lead on this because you were the one who interviewed him very late. The reason I'm not there was because this was a very late at night interview. That's why there was no water on the table as well. People actually commented <laughs> about that. You should get the Sheikh some water. They just came back from a fundraiser. Uh, it's like 10, 10 and 11 p.m. I'm yeah. obviously not going to be making that drive up. And you sat down with the Sheikh that we have been with for quite a while, we knew him while we were in the Bay Area. We're down here now. Yeah. And so, what did you, what were your takeaways? Um, so yeah, first off, Alhamdulillah, we got to record that episode. I was Sheikh was exhausted. I was exhausted. It was a super long day. I think it was eleven thirty p.m. when we sat down after he did like a two and a half hour fundraiser and then like a forty minute drive back to our place. So Alhamdulillah, he was willing and I had the energy. Um, yeah. So that actually ended up being one of the most popular episodes. For us, uh, I, I think that was the only episode where I was consistently getting non-Muslims messages from non-Muslims, letting me know how much they benefited from this. Sheikh Al-Adin. from Sheikh Al-Adin. Sheikh Al-Adin in nutshell. Yeah, yeah. you know, Sheikh Al-Adin is talking about all these like Islamic concepts, and I have non-Muslims like, yeah, this makes so much sense, man. Like, I just need to apply <laughs> this in my life, and I was like, Subhanallah, you know, like when 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 the messenger is is uh, you know is putting his heart into it, then. You know, you, you could touch the hearts of so many people. So, yeah, for that one. So why do you think it resonated with so many people? What what are people hearing? And that's, what are the key takeaways that people hear? And they say, wow, this like really struck me hard. Yeah, so I think uh, 
the key takeaways from that episode. Um, the way Sheikh Alaeddin tied that whole, well, if you, um, if you haven't listened to the podcast, go listen to it. I'm about to ruin it for you. This was unbeknownst to me. Sheikh Ala had like a whole grand narrative throughout the like a, podcast. Like a twist ending. Like yeah. a twist ending, right? Um, so, you know, he just tied into the idea of what you really, really need to look for in a person. And if you prioritize certain things, you know, that are, that are worldly in sense that they're, they, 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 they're fleeting, then, you know, you're going to end up essentially with nothing. You know, we all know the hadith, right? Like you can marry a woman for her beauty, her lineage or her wealth, but all, you know, fourth is the dean, the fourth is the dean, right? And if you marry for any of those three, then you've got nothing. But if you marry for the dean, then, you know, essentially you're, you're, you're a winner, right? Yeah. But Sheikh Al-Aji just took that hadith and kind of just expanded on it for, you know, the better, the better part of an hour. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I've heard that hadith so many times. Jazakallah khair. So they don't complain that there was no water on our table. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for me, I was sitting there and I was, it was like a learning experience because I was just also, I was recently married at that point, maybe it was like almost one year, right? So I was getting so many takeaways um, and I was sitting there. I was like, there was a lot that I wish that I had known before, you know, pursuing someone for marriage. Like the whole idea of, you know, liking someone because of the way they make you feel, right? That's something you actually hear a lot. I would hear that a lot from my friends. Like, oh, I love the way she makes me feel. I love who I am with her. Like a girl say the same thing. And it's, you know that that that's apparently that's a really bad measure for <laughs> he called he called it a selfish thing <laughs> a selfish thing right getting married for selfish reasons because yeah. you want it the way it makes you feel as opposed to what you're going to be giving in that relationship exactly mm-hmm. um you know you actually you want to marry someone um before that before you you have to pick them and you have to respect them first whether you love them or not right because there are times in a relationship where you will argue you will you know butt heads and you may not be lovey-dovey during that time, right? And if your emotions are spiraling out of control, but you don't have a strong basis from the beginning, then that's a recipe for disaster. So that's what he's really trying to say, because at that point, that person's not making you feel good. They're making you feel terrible, possibly. So he summarized it very well. He said, you should want to marry someone that you would respect them, whether you're married to them or not. That was the, the grand summary of it. That's what, yeah, yeah. And you, I mean, if you can call it a type of love, not a lustful love, but I love this person for how they conduct themselves in public and in private and how they deal with their parents and their family and their friends. So that's the person you want to pursue and the person you want to be as well. So when someone pursues you and tries to court you as well, it yes. works both ways, right? Yeah. And uh, I think this fed into a later episode. Well, not episode coming out this season, but, you know, we live in such a, a um, an image-based culture. A lot of the times you, you will hear the bio about a sister, right? I, this is from guys that are asking me, oh, I want to get married. You, you give them this great bio and they're like, oh, she sounds amazing. And then they see a picture. They're like, ah, no thanks. You know? And you're like, like, I mean. Give, give it a chance. Give it a chance. <laughs> like, <laughs> You can't judge someone based off one picture, you know? Uh, maybe they're not photogenic. Um, maybe. And, and we know cases Maybe it's like a this. bad picture. Maybe yeah. it's a straight bad picture, right? Like. I know this more because I'm in production. I do that on the side. And if you are here behind the scenes, uh, at, you know, at the podcast, you're going to see all the camera angles, all the lighting, all the different little knickknacks to make this look as amazing as possible. And uh, 
not everyone is doing that when they take a photo, putting it on, you know, shoddy.com or whatever. Yeah, whatever platform, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever platform. So, yeah. So, uh, it's important to keep it open-minded. So, those pursuing marriage, you want to think to yourself, when you see an image of the person, yes, it's important to be attracted to the person. But don't make that the initial, oh, am I going to talk to her or not? If you read her bio first, or his bio, whatever the scenario, mm-hmm. you say to yourself, wow, these are a lot of the check marks that I'm looking for. And you see a picture, at, if it's at least workable, like I don't give it a 5 out of 10, I don't know, it's not, <laughs> you're halfway there, 50-50, go see the person in yeah. in person. We know cases personally where at first I said, oh, I don't know, it doesn't seem, my, she, they just said it's not my type. And then they were pushed to just go hang out with them. And then later they realized like, wow, like in person, they're just so much better in every way possible. Like the yeah. picture did not do this person justice. Yeah. So it's very important. And then I want to make a larger point in that for all the topics of this podcast, so whether it's marriage or parenting or we'll, we'll get to many of them, right? You may think to yourself, this doesn't apply to me. Maybe I'm already a married man. Like, what do I care what Sheikh Al-Din has to say about getting married? Or I'm not a parent yet. What do I have? To, what do I care about what Sheikh Mustafa has to say about parenting? These are lessons that you can take with you and help. You remember, you can always be a mentor to someone, whether they're younger or older than you. So yes, I've yeah. already gone through marriage, but when someone comes and asks me about marriage, if I heard a better way to explain it or to teach someone about it, it's worth my while to say, "Look, I've actually learned this new skill set, more wisdom. I can help you out in a better way." I'm already married. That's true, but it doesn't mean the knowledge isn't going to be beneficial in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think he Sheikh Aladdin also um, touched in a little bit on divorce. Yes. And how you're supposed to behave yes. in divorce. Um, with ihsan, with, with yeah. excellence. Yeah. And it's, 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 uh, it's crazy because in the Southern California community with people our age, generally in the 25 to 35 range, I'm hearing of a lot of divorces that are happening. And a lot of them turn very, very ugly. You know, the girl comes after the guy for every cent that he has. The guy wants to tear down the girl's reputation in the community. Um, and it's like, what the heck happened to the Nikah contract? You signed going into this, right? They completely gets thrown out the window. So uh, that was just a little bit, but it was also an important note because divorce is essentially it's part of the process. Part you, of have, the process. you have to know how it works before you get into marriage. You need to know the fit of divorce before you get you married. Yes, very yes. important, especially um, for women because they're usually the ones taking advantage of by yeah. that rule. All right, we can. Uh, I think that summarizes so episode, episode one. one. Episode Unless Salman wants to add anything. Um, I just find it interesting that like more non-Muslims like reach out to you than Muslims. Oh, how great that episode was! Yeah, that, that's just that's the magic of Sheikh. Al- magic Sorry, I shouldn't say magic, but that's the pull of of Sheikh Aladdin Al Bakri. Mashallah, you can um, see years of training and wisdom in, in those words. He yeah, he knows how to deliver a message. Mashallah. Yeah, uh, so episode two, Sheikh Mustafa Omar on atheism. You called it a need for Dean for speed. Dean mm-hmm. for speed. Mashallah. It was actually going to be Dean from Speed, but someone said, oh, that sounds That's like drug-related. Drug yeah. um, like, you do Speed and you become religious. <laughs> it's not <laughs> wasn't my intention. But, yeah, Dean for Speed. Um, it was cool because we like we did the, the, the title with, like, the same font that they use in the movie. And Sheikh Mustafa, actually, like, that was one of his favorite games growing up. Like, he played that game a lot. So he totally got it. I was like, alhamdulillah. I thought, I thought he would, like, Ask you know, yeah. yeah, project a drug reference or something. Like, uh, I was like, okay. Alhamdulillah, that worked out. But that was, I'll just speak a little bit and I'll let you take over. Uh, that whole podcast was actually just supposed to be part two. We had Sheikh Mustafa booked for like an hour and a half, right? And we ended up doing like four hours, right? That we split into two parts. 
Um, and alhamdulillah, the first part, he really got into his background story mm-hmm. and, you know, um, how he, you know, grew up in Orange County, lost his, lost belief in, in any religion. Then he had this life changing experience and he eventually found Islam and his, his conviction and how he studied overseas and that kind of thing. So that was kind of like the overlying a narrative. But there were a lot of key takeaways um, from that podcast. So I'll let Munir. Because oh, you, you don't remember them? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, I've been, I've been yeah, talking so for like he, 40, he, 15 minutes. So he, uh, Sheikh Mustafa, inshallah, he, he told a story and it has a lot of entertainment value. But and we get a lot of that from Muslim conferences. If you remember, if you notice, you go to a Muslim conference and there's a lot of iman high entertain edutainment. Yeah, 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 as they call it. And so I think we tried our best to draw out lessons that we could from his I mean, extraordinary experience. So one of those we said was the pursuit of knowledge in Islam isn't necessarily going to be easy. That's a big, a big, big lesson actually. You yeah. hear it across the board. How many should you go ask a sheikh at your local masjid? Or even a local woman scholar, if you have them, just say, how easy was it for you to attain the knowledge you have? And most of the time, unless they come from a very well-off family, which is rare, they're going to tell you it was a pain, like well, a big, big pain. Even Sheikh Mustafa's family is well-off. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. And, and it was still rough for him. It was He <laughs> yeah. almost died, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he got typhoid, almost died. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> even then, it's not necessarily, yeah, so it's not material wealth that'll get you through these things either, even if you're fully sponsored. So yeah, yeah and that's because, in Sheikh Mustafa was saying, the worth of this knowledge, there's a there's a toll to be paid. It's not simple because what you get out of it, you pay up in dunya in a sense, yeah. and then then you get the satisfaction of your akhirah. So no. that's a big thing for people when you're taking these part time classes and you say, man, I have to drive an hour to the class. Why don't I just do it online? Which we'll touch on when we get to Sheikh Mustafa or <laughs> why? Yeah, I mean COVID changes that, but when we inshallah we go back to a normal, yeah, it'll mean more. Or you're just thinking like, man, they're demanding so much. Like, should I focus on my college education versus part-time school? I'll just, they don't collect homework. My grade doesn't matter. But the worth of it, it's not a tangible worth. Maybe, sometimes it's tangible, but it's not something you're going to say, this is a, going to affect my paycheck, which is a lot of times what we give our worth to. Yeah. You have to really remember that the worth of this Islamic knowledge is getting closer to Allah. I mean, ultimately, that's why anyone studies Islam is I want to get, I want to understand what Allah wants more. I want to understand His commands and prohibitions so that I can follow them and get closer to Him. No, that's very important. No. Um, what else was there? I'm holding back a sneeze as well. Yeah, I mean, I just want to touch on on uh, the the um, the idea of kind of like having a rough it going through it. That's like part of the learning process. Um, I mean, for those of you, if you have not watched that episode, uh, you know, go watch that episode, right? It's uh, It was the most entertaining one that we recorded. I had a blast, honestly. I was like laughing. I was cracking up the whole time. Munir was like trying to ask questions. I was like, bro, just let me, let, let's just have a good time, you know? I'll <laughs> run through his narrative. But uh, yeah, his parents were so worried about him going overseas to study in Pakistan. Or no, India, India. That they offered to buy him a Ferrari. They're like, we'll buy you a Ferrari if you don't study Islam overseas, but study Islam here in Orange County or like Southern California. And he was like, nah, I don't want it here. I want to go overseas. Um, and that is crazy. That is cra- Ima- Imagine that. I mean, I, I, I don't know what I'd do. Like, if I, I don't, I don't think <laughs> I, at some point I was like, oh, I want to go overseas. I want to go overseas too. But, um, you know, that didn't materialize to anything. But if someone offered me something like that, I mean, I'd have to think about it. 
<laughs> but that's where the conviction comes in, where you say, is this worth it or not? And you have to have something in your heart that says, this is what I want to do. Yeah, and then he went overseas and almost died. Like that, it, it just got progressive. It's not like, oh, I'm going to take the high road and I'm going yeah. to have a great time. No, he was terrible. Um, and, and That's uh, what's called a test. Yeah. SubhanAllah. But mashallah, now, now you, you can see the fruits of his struggle, right? All the students that are graduating from uh, his seminary program. Yes. Uh, he is the imam at a masjid. He is um, he's, he's doing like, he runs a school. He's the imam of a masjid. I think he's involved in like two other Shura Council here in Southern California. Um, he was one part of the delegation that represented us uh, when the in the state of California was passing a some sort of education bill about LGBTQ trans teaching that in school. He was part of the Muslim delegation that went to address, you know, the the board of supervisors essentially. Um, and he's very articulate, very eloquent, very educated, very um, respectable, right? But that's the fruit. Of all that hard work, right? And you know, I just want to put an emphasis on roughing it because a lot of us, you know, we may read like two or three books, take a few online classes, and then you just jump into the Facebook comments like, <laughs> you know, I am Sheikh Mufti, and this is bidah, you know, like, like, bro, relax, you know. Um, <laughs> that's that's another topic, but um. Yeah, just have respect for the, the, the journey that someone goes through, essentially. Excellent. So we had him for part two, Sheikh Mustafa, and he had a talk that he'd prepared for another conference. I guess it didn't pan out. He ne never had time to present it, so he presented it to us plenty of time on Muslim masculinity. Yeah. Uh, and he went through a lot of parts, and I'll, I'll leave that up to the listener to go through. But uh, big, big takeaways was, he, at one point, I asked him about the hadith of the Prophet said them where it said that he helped mend his shoes or cook sometimes and whatever else like household tasks and that yeah. a lot of times taken out of context to say see the prophet did household chores just as much as the women men need to stay at home and do these or help why 50 50 or whatever they try and twist it and he said it's actually like I mean, he's cringeworthy was the way he, he described it <laughs> cringeworthy interpretation of this hadith and he said the actual takeaway is nothing he didn't belittle a task so it wasn't beneath him as a prophet of God yeah. to go and help mend his shoe once or twice or to help with the cooking or a household task or build a masjid once or... No, he did these things just to say, I'm not above any of you. I can help do these things, but that's not my role in society. And so I think a bigger takeaway, which we didn't actually really get to in the uh, talk, though this is something I've heard from other teachers, is the importance of learning the context of hadith. Mm. So we have things called hadith of the day, where some people like to share a random hadith and I've heard it from other people, like my wife shares and says, what's this hadith mean? The girls are sharing it in the group chat. Is actually a very dangerous thing to be sharing hadith randomly. Like one a day, it, it's not meant to be like that. Hadith are not meant for lay people to read one at a time and say, all right, well, let, let me see what I pull from this. <laughs> exactly. And so, because you know, we're not like Christians, where we have like a Bible study where we read the verse and say, what do we think this means? That's not how we pursue Islamic knowledge. True. So a hadith like that, you would read it and say, that's what it means. That must be the takeaway. Looks like you got to do 50-50. So you have that. And so it's so important to realize there's a big, big context behind every hadith. You need to see, let me read all the other hadith about the same topic. So maybe yeah. this is just one narrator's perspective. Another one says, oh, actually, I saw the prophet doing all these other things around the side. And another one says, I saw him do this. I saw him do that. So you have to take all of them in context. Then you have to say, what's the Quran say? So is this the exception to the rule or the general rule? Or is this yeah. a prohibition or just a kind of discouragement? No. So that's actually very, I thought that was a huge takeaway from uh, that particular portion. And then he got into 
edu- the education that's being pushed down on our society, which Cal- this is in California being pushed heavily. It's already been pushed past the transgender gender bending oh, yeah. curriculum that's being that has already been passed in California down to the kindergarten level. It is mandatory for anyone in public school or charter school or homeschooling. So anyone who takes any money from the government to, yes. for their education. So even homeschooling is not you know, uh, exempt from this. And he was he gave an example of a book for kindergarten. It's like a crayon, a blue crayon and a red wrapping. And this crayon's like, everyone's calling me red, but I'm blue inside. And you know, by the end of the story, he sheds his wrapper and everyone's like, oh, he was blue the whole time. And we need to accept people <laughs> for who they are on the inside and who they say they are. Yeah. Which sounds cute and nice until you realize they're talking about gender and not, you know, colors. Or and there's infinite, infinite genders like there are actually. Like yeah, they show a book. Here's a boy. And... They show a boy. Here's a girl. Here's a girl. Here's a both. And they show something that's apparently both. Here's nothing. And there's so many other genders in between. There's more to discover, they say. And so the, this, this was ahead. passed. Yeah, this yeah. was passed in California. And the unlike sex education where a parent can opt out, um, you know, you get a form at home. It's like, are you? Are you, are you going to allow us to let yeah. your kid watch this video and then you sign it yes or no? Well, with this uh, gender education, it's you parents are not notified and you cannot opt out. Essentially, it's you know part of the part of the curriculum now, which is crazy because it's a full blown ideology that's just being shoved down people's throats. Um, and it starts from kindergarten. Yes. Like four year olds, five year olds. Yes, yeah. sir. Like pictures and stuff. Important. Okay, so we talked about so the masculinity, the law that's being passed. Oh, so uh, another important point on that is just in general being aware of what your future kids' education looks like. Yes. Because so when you're pursuing someone for marriage, for example, you need to say, I mean, it, this can change. This is not that like do or die kind of uh, question, but you say homeschool, private school, public school. Like me and my wife, we decided we're not going to go the public school route, even though I went to public school. She went to public school. We actually, uh, for a long time, I said, yeah, my kid, of course, she's going to go to public school. I remember school. you were one of the proponents. Back in the <laughs> day, I was like, this is nuts. And you're yeah. like, no, they're going to be fine. They'll rough it. That's yeah. <laughs> <You did laughs> before I learned. You yes. did a 180. Mashallah. Before I learned, ed- yeah, for education. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen to me next time from the onset. Before I had a kid, yeah. Um, but no, then you, you, start, you start to get into nitty gritty and you think to yourself, I mean, for example, and this is not to really put down teachers per se, but I know people are becoming teachers today. We went to high school with them. Oof. And you realize that they're going to be the one educating my parent. I mean, they, they say the, kid, prom- the problem with... Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. your kid. And they say the problem with uh, American education today is you have C-level students teaching A-level students. <laughs> so, and, and, and it's, that's not... And there are a lot of obviously brilliant teachers out there, excellent at their work, even if they got C's in high school, like that, because that wasn't the environment for them. They're ex- that's just a different type, right? But it's not hard to see the kid in high school and you say, that person became a teacher? My kids aren't getting near you. I would never trust you with my kid or anyone's kid for that matter. And now you're in charge of 20 kids' education? Yeah, right. So that's like a big reason why you start to rethink these things. Though, not summit public education, I'm sure is good. And people say, yeah, oh. we all have a handful of those teachers that really, really pushed okay. us and yeah. changed us in certain ways. But that's the whole point, right? There's like a handful that I remember from, you know, like however many years, right? It's only a handful. Uh, you know, a lot of them just get beat down by bureaucracy. At the end of the day, you're a government employee, right? Being a government employee is not fun. Um, doing paperwork, deal, dealing with, I mean, they don't get paid that much right a lot of these public school teachers yeah. um so also another point 
a lot of these people that are becoming teachers, I, I follow some of them on social media, and, and they have shown to be very uh, ideologically driven in their views. Um, and it's come to the point where, like, whatever they're spew spewing is, like, this is what's morally right. And I don't want them talking about this kind of stuff to kids, yeah. right? Um, like, political views, LGBTQ stuff, all, all that stuff like that. I mean, you're here to teach my kid math. Honestly... Just math, <laughs> math <laughs> and science. Everything else can be like misconstrued, you know. Um, do I, I don't want my kid learning like social studies, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're gonna homeschool. Inshallah, we Inshallah. we'll see. That could change too. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's options for Islamic schools, yeah. private schools, but they're like you have to find the good one. You have to vet it out, and you have to figure out who's running it and what yeah. the ideology behind it, and yeah. And that's just something you'll learn through. I mean, I think hopefully someone who went through all these podcasts would learn. There's an ideology behind, behind everything. Yes. There's an Islamic mindset. When you look at something, you look at the world. And I'm going to touch on that and we cap all of them together as, as like a big summary of what I took away from the whole gotcha. season. Uh, but more importantly is that... Um, oh, sorry, maybe. Uh, man. Stop on me. Is it late for you, Munir? You can edit these things. I had a long day with my kid. Yeah. <laughs> we're oh, talking sorry. about being ideologically yeah, yeah, driven. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Even the secular state has an ideology. So they want to say we're anti, we're no religion. So that's just the ideology here is not any religion. We're just zero religion. So we're fair and balanced. No, but no. that in itself is an ideology that's being pushed on you, whether you're yes. aware of it or not. And that's something, and when we get to Sheikh Farhan, like that was part of the talk itself. Yes. Uh, so do you have anything else to add to Sheikh Mustafa's before we move on to Sheikh Mikhail? Um Yeah, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. That's great. All four hours. I think that's like one of the few ones that I actually rewatched. It's yeah. a great episode. Excellent. I know people who uh, enrolled in California Islamic University after listening to that. That's good. Oh, yeah. for real? Yeah, yeah. I got him students? No, no. Oh, he should be a sponsor. He should sponsor the show. <laughs> yeah, they don't have money to sponsor you. Sheikh Mustafa? The, the California Islam. Okay, whatever. Well, they got to give it to scholarships for these kids. It's a, I'll just give him a shout out. No. Shout out uh, California Islamic University. Uh, you know, sign up. They're great. Also, IOK. Okay. Institute of Knowledge. Institute of Knowledge. Yes. Um, yeah. Not sponsored, which I was. So, uh, Sheikh Mikhail Smith came on after that, and we had him talking about in emotional intelligence. Yeah, so that was a pretty cool podcast because I've always wanted to interview the author of a book. Like, that was just something I wanted to do. Um, so, I was really, for, that was just, yeah, just get that one out of the way. <laughs> Bucket list. Yeah. Bucket list, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, that one was uh, The Emotional Intelligence of the Prophet, Sallallahu right? Mm -hmm. He wrote yes. a book. Um, with the Heart and Mind. With the Heart and Mind. Great book, if you have not read it. Um, yeah, you want to... Sure. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so he did. Uh, we we had him talk about defining intelligence because yes. when someone thinks about intelligence, they say to themselves, "Oh, Einstein was super intelligent. Uh, Stephen Hawking super intelligent. Oh, you know, we think of intelligence in terms of secular sciences and material sciences. We say Noam Chomsky so intelligent. But then if you think of the process, I said, was he deriving formulas? Did he say the next rocket science equation and say how to get to the moon no what about what about all the uh, scientific miracles in the Quran? no <laughs> that's a whole nother punch we'll have a whole podcast debunking this horrible 90s trend that fell fell by the wayside as you if you've realized by any dawah being told today it does not exist anymore i wonder why um so defining intelligence he did it was so important he said actually emotional intelligence is the peak of intelligence and that's that's how hearts and communicate with one one another 
how you make real change in society, social change, political change. And the Prophet said him was the peak of emotional intelligence. So when as a human, as a Muslim especially, I want to become more intelligent. I should look when we look to the Prophet said him, I am becoming more intelligent. You think to yourself, but he's not teaching me math and science. He's actually teaching you something much deeper than that. He's yeah. teaching you to connect with another human being, which is the ultimate form of intelligence yes. in any sense of the word. Uh, so that, I mean, that's the crux of his entire uh, book. But then we also touched on parenting a little bit. So yes. like I said, some of these topics may not apply today, but inshallah one day. And emotional intelligence plays a huge role in how you deal with your, your child. Kid, yeah. And that you're going to have to be patient with them. They're going to want to do things with you and they're going to look at you how you react. So if I'm baking in the kitchen with my kid, He's taking five hours to crack the egg. And I'm like, man, I could do this in two seconds. Why am I waiting for my kid? He'll know if I'm rushing him. And I'm like, I don't want to deal with him or yeah. be with there with him. Or he cracks the egg and he makes a mess. If he looks up at mom and she goes, what are you doing? Oh, why are you making a mess? He'll say, well, next time I make, I don't want to do this anymore. My mom gets mad at me when I'm in the kitchen with her. This interaction's awful. I never want to do it again. Yeah. As opposed to he cracks the egg and says, oh, Habibi, my love, like what happened here? Let's clean this up. Next time, let's be more careful. It's a learning experience. He still loves his mom. He still wants to be in the kitchen with her and pursue this and grow in that endeavor. So that's, I mean, that's a form of emotional intelligence that everyone most likely will have to experience in their life, whether or not they don't do other types, political yeah. or activism, at least on a family level, you're going to have to do that. Even, even in secular society, the people with the higher emotional intelligence tend to be the ones that are more successful. Um, you know, it's not the guy, like even if you work in an engineering office, right? It's not the guy who's the best designer that's making the biggest bucks. It's the guy that knows like what's going on with design, but he's really good at communication. He's really good at reading people. He can land a sale. He can get the contract. He's the guy getting paid the big bucks, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, look at your, look at uh, any engineering firm, any, any type of technical place. Mm -hmm. Who's at the top of your company? It's not usually an engineer. Sometimes it is. And that's, it's nice. Those are, those are like the golden people because they're a person with technical skills who married it with the non-technical skills. Yes. And that's what makes them special. That's why people like them at the top. But if they're, for lack of an engineer, who are they going to put? They'll put the business major. They'll put the finance guy. They'll put the non-technical skill yes. guy. And you think to yourself, but my degree was so much tougher. How come he's at the top making the big bucks and the big decisions? Because he has a way better view of people and systems than you do. Yes. On this micro engineering <laughs> level. And that's what makes him, quote unquote, more intelligent. Yes. Yeah. And, and it shows. People, you look at him, you say, wow, this guy's at the top. And you can even feel that in his persona and how he communicates with people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those are the special ones. Those are the ones you know are going to run the business and society. No. And they say, you know, when they want to put an engineer down, just say, who's running the world right now? Is it the liberal arts students or the engineers? And you say, oh, yeah, it's all the liberal arts. They're the ones in the politics and pushing the, the bills and whatever. And you're suffering for it. So these stupid <laughs> politicians, it's like, well, if you were so smart, you'd be doing these things or running the show. Yeah. So it's important to put that perspective for yourself. And, yeah, and humble yourself, too, for the engineers who always think they're so smart. We're, no, you're all, not that smart. we're all engineers at this table, yes. by the way. Yeah, so Munir just said we're not smart. So we're not. Anyone have anything to add to the emotional intelligence discussion? Uh, no, there? I, think, I think that was good. Yeah, um, it was like a, it was an episode, like 45 minutes, yeah. short and sweet. Um, you know, we get straight to the point. Um, please, if you have not had a chance to listen to that one, Go ahead uh, and, and, and give it a quick listen. Sheikh Mika'il was a wonderful guest. Yes. And you learn a lot. Yeah, he's a great speaker. Yeah. So after that, we had Sheikh Farhan Zuberi, who is the Dean of Institute of Knowledge. We had him here talking about the crisis of knowledge. Mm. So That's as a, a community, big, big words. <laughs> as a community, we, uh, the yes. issue is that when you look at a Muslim congregation, the, total sum, the sum total of knowledge in that group 
It's probably actually not that much. We're talking about Islamic knowledge exactly. because you'll have a lot like you'll look at a measured board and like MBA, PhD, Lawyer, engineering doctor, this, doctor, doctor this, and and you know the masjid's failing for some reason or they're making all kinds of wrong decisions. Um, so or antithetical to Islamic ethics, and you think to yourself, how how is this happening or why is this happening? Yeah, and a lot of the issues stem from you hear a lot of disputes between imams and the board. You say, why is there a big dispute? And let's assume, I mean, we can, there's obviously two sides to every issue, right? And there could be a, a, like a poor imam. Like, let's put that aside. There's too many imams failing for that to be every imam's issue. If a masjid has turnover of like an imam a year, it's probably the board. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's be real. Yeah, a year or two, like something's going on something's that's going on, not yeah. adding up. So when an imam is failing and you say, why are they at odds with the board? Like, what? So a lot of the time, imam might push something. And the board doesn't understand the Islamic value of such thing. Yeah. They say, well, as a dollar value, this doesn't add up. We need more congregants so we can get more <coughs> fundraising. And the imams, we need you here for all five prayers. And he's like, I want to have a class on the weekend. Like, we need to have something established on a weekly basis. And they say, oh, that's going to, we'll have to keep the lights on on Saturday. We can't afford that. Go back to your five-day mm-hmm. prayers. So the imam says, this is not what Islamic value I'm bringing to the table. Anyone can pray five times a day, but that doesn't raise the collective quality of my congregation. Yes, yes, yes. So that was part of the topic we spoke about. Yeah, we also got into a little bit into, um, you know, how you know, growing up, a, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of us, uh, uh, Munir, Nais, Alman, like people our age, we we are the children of immigrants. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when our parents immigrated, I mean, they came here for economic prosperity and stability because that's something that we could not get back home uh, so of course growing up they're hammering the idea of you know education education you got to go to school you got a good job you got to get a, a stable income that kind of thing because that's something that's very very difficult to do back home and i think what goes what falls by the wayside is the islam because when you live in a muslim society you will inherently pick up things and learn things that then is playing five times a day you go to your local masjid there's maybe you stay five minutes to hear the sheikh say something you will just naturally pick that up but here in america that's not the case right um what <coughs> was done essentially was the idea of sunday school yes right which is nowhere near enough, enough or effective um, it's not even close. did you did you go to sunday school someone i actually had a, like a saturday sunday school oh double day double okay days. that's yeah. double effective. how quickly did you come to hate it when it was the, that much <laughs> of your week was education oh i actually really liked it my Mashallah. the sheikh was really nice there yeah. you go. Sheikh Bal Give him a shout out. Where? where which Masjid? Masjid? King Fahad. Oh, okay. What did you What did you learn Sunday school? Because I think of all of us oh. that lived together, you ended up having the most Islamic knowledge. Not a high threshold, no, but yeah. you did have it. <laughs> but you no, you, no. you knew Tajweed, and uh, none of us knew. And I led. I led us for like many prayers. For many prayers. For a long time, and I was probably making a lot of mistakes, and not once did, did you ever say anything. I just, you know, it's fine. I just didn't know what to do, you know. <laughs> it's not a true friend. He, he's afraid to criticize you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people react really negatively sometimes. That's true. So your pride, you feel um, scarred. Yeah, he's afraid of confrontation. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I would have reacted negatively. Hopefully sure. not. Sure. Sure. Next time. Next but time. Yeah. Next so time you, you, did, you did a lot of tajweed and that was... Yeah. Um, there's tajweed a lot of, is uh, how to recite the Quran properly. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of emphasis on the Quran and uh, you know, sometimes you just stop the class and like, go over some ayahs or some, and then uh, always be like a question and answer session or some like Islamic games. 
towards the last uh, section of the day. Yeah. My, my Sunday school experience was just there was a youth group and we would go paintballing. We would go out to IHOP. That's uh, <laughs> one week, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna go visit the synagogue, for interfaith," and my parents are like, "What the hell are they <laughs> teaching you?" Like nothing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go and have fun. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to build a camaraderie. <laughs> yeah, which which actually, I think that might be even a better way to go about it if you think about it. Because if we if, let's say they went it was to bad. The it was like curriculum. guys and girls just okay. They didn't and do it that well. Yeah, All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was it was, it was just time. like a guys group going out and do these things. Actually, there is long-term benefit to that because yeah. now you have a Muslim friend group, which is super important in this context because then you're going to hold each other back, inshallah, from doing Mahago things. At least more than if you were with a non-Muslim group. We'll True. say that much. True. So, and, they thought, and if you look at it and say, I could go to this, the Sunday school education, which is the same curriculum every year for some reason, no matter what year you are, <laughs> or a, a solid friend group, it makes more sense to go with the solid friend group. Yeah. So that actually is a good direct for people who do youth group. It's actually a good direction sometimes <coughs> to just do fun things with your group all the time and like throw in after everyone's sweaty and played their basketball and their laser tag or whatever. Throw in a little 10 bit of day something. And be like, all right, guys, just 10 minute Islamic reminder. Remember of God for a bit. Let's go pray. Okay. We did our Muslim thing. Like you remembered your, you remembered God at the appropriate moments. Let's stay together, be friends. And that's extremely, yeah. extremely important. Yeah. So we also touched on with Sheikh Farhan. Um, having a teacher long-term versus like this Iman high that you get from a conference. So we, a lot of us want to go to a conference and that's, it's good. So a lot of people need that. You get there and that's, that's the start for many people. They say, man, I don't want to lose this, that this feeling I have of like yeah. God is true and his messenger is true. And the message they sent is the one and I got to follow this and I want to know God as best I can. But then the conference is gone. All the te- all the speakers fly back to whatever town they're from. Mm-hmm. You're left in your city afterwards and you think to yourself, Crap. well, YouTube, I guess. I'll watch the speaker <laughs> on YouTube as much as I can. But that is not long-term education. That is not a relationship with a teacher who can know you and see your faults and your flaws and help you determine what you did wrong and what you can do better. Uh, and I mean, just and we also touched on in-person. And this is, I mean, going to sound weird in a COVID world, but in-person education versus online education and the yeah. importance of being in person and what you pick up on. These are things like that that aren't going to be said explicitly. If you only hear the audio, you're not going to pick it up. True. But if you're there with the teacher, you just see the way he does something or the way he responds to a weird question. You see his facial expression. Does he look quizzical? Does he look happy? Is he smiling? Is he angry at a question or how someone presented something? Yeah. These are all cues that you can mm-hmm. take in. I mean, a part of the emotional intelligence that you will not get through a normal education. And actually, if you think about college education, what's the difference between, let's say, a sheikh and a PhD in Islam? Like just give me anything. I don't. I don't care. It doesn't have to be like the answer. But oh, a sheikh. Like yeah, we have a sheikh who went to study Sharia. Uh, the sheikh probably has isnad. Okay, that's a big one. So he, he has, has a chain of of uh, narration of, or teachers that go back to the author of the book to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Great. What else? What else do you can you think off the top of your head? Uh, the PhD guy probably learned from like secular, secular sources. Uh, like okay, good. So they they don't have iman as a base. They don't have faith as like the base of what they're learning or teaching. I mean, yeah, if you the PhDs are not scholars of Islam, they're not alims, straight up. I'll, I'll, I'll say that for the record. <laughs> Great, <laughs> good clarification. But also, more importantly, <laughs> why? Why is that? Why you say? Well, no, he has a PhD. He had a whole research paper. He had to publish and defend his thesis. Is not a scholar of Islam in a sense. No, but <laughs> answer <laughs> historical question. <laughs> but the difference between an Islamic teacher versus a non-Islam, a non-Muslim teacher is the non-Muslim teacher, and this is true of any of your classes, by the way, forget PhD in Islam, the PhD in math, science, everyone at your college, 
they're only in the position of the teacher because they read more books than you. Like, actually, if you want to summarize it real quickly, they read more books than you. That's it. It's just the amount of education has nothing to do with the application. Some of these guys have never used their degree. They just went the education route forever, and now they're teaching you this stuff. That doesn't make them an authority in anything, so they to speak. They never actually applied what they learned in the real world. But Islamic teachers, they apply, they learn and they apply. No. They learn something, they get closer to Allah with it. I mean, these are good teachers, not the opposite's a hypocrite. So you don't want to be in that mm-hmm. group, right? So you learn, you learn, you learn, and you say, "Oh my God, Allah said this in the Quran." Now that I've learned it, it's not enough to be like, "Yes." When someone asks me this question, I know that uh, when I do wudu, I need to wash my face. Like, no, when you make wudu, now you better wash your face. You know, that's part of the fard. That's part of the obligatory parts. No. I'm just going to add on to what you just said. Uh, there's an amazing book that if you do not have in your library, you need to get it. It's by Sheikh Nuh Hakim Keller. Uh, Hamim ha- Is it Hamim? Yeah, Hamim, Hamim Keller. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. Uh, the book is called Sea Without Shore, right? So the, the Sheikh, the first half of the book, he goes through his experiences uh, with five of the Mashaykh that taught him. They were the closest to him. Uh, and he just talks about being in their presence, what he learned, the kind of things that that, that, they, that they would do, the way they treated people. Um, and these were just, you know, fuqaha, right? These were alims of alims, right? Um, and uh, th- there is a lot that you will pick up from being just around the sheikh, you know what I mean? Like not, not once in that whole uh, uh, ha- first half of the book does he really talk about fiqh or do this and don't do that. He's just talking about his exper- experiences and how he uh, uh, matured just from by being around them. Um, so definitely, definitely recommend reading that because it will, if you're not convinced by what we're saying, this will get you convinced to actually you know, f- you know, connect with a sheikh, try to meet with them in person, try to connect with them uh, 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 in the physical world, not not just online. Yes, not yeah. as just a YouTube view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anything to add before we move to the final and last speaker of our no, season? No, I think unless Salman wants to. I'm good. All right, then we had Cyrus McGoldrick Ooh. on soft activism. This is one I'm going to to speak about for a long time. One of my specialties. Specialties. <laughs> not soft activism. I am not an activist, but... So why, why did you want Cyrus on to speak on this topic <coughs> in the first place? We had never met him in person, actually, prior to this. We had heard through I, people. I, no, I'd met him. Oh, you had met him? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. You had met him once. But we, we didn't know him on like a real personal level. Yeah. We knew of him, his reputation in this field. So why did you bring him on to speak yeah, about so this particular me, subject? I'll, st- I'll, I'll just... Okay. So one of, my, one of my friends hits me up, and he's like, hey, there's this guy. His name is Cyrus. He's come, coming over to uh, my house and all the, a bunch of brothers are going to be there. We're going to have food. I have no idea who this guy is, but I was bored and I was hungry. So I decided to roll through. And Everyone goes to MSA meetings, by the way. Yes. <laughs> incentive. And then so- brother Cyrus comes through, right? And, um, you know, we eat, we're hanging out, we're talking. And then he, he just starts talking about, you know, he, he was just gi- giving, giving, you know, the, the group um, some advice on what we need to do to help better our community, right? And he, he was talking about, you know, uh, all these Muslims who were imprisoned, all, all, all the different ways that uh, all these laws that are actually, you know, like the Patriot Act affecting Muslims on like such a, on such like a deep level. Um, uh, and he, he wasn't, he wasn't really like talking about the, the, mo- the modern narrative of like LGBTQ rights, women's rights, feminism, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it was just like this whole other kind of activism, quote unquote, that he was involved in um, and he was calling people to. 
So not the rhetoric you're used to. Exactly. So I was like, whoa, like that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy, right? Like I, I had no idea about all these Muslims who were in jail and Care was fighting for them back in the day, and because if you look at Care now, like that's it's part of it, but not the main picture. Exactly, and that's not that's not what I see at all. Um, so <clears throat> that kind of interested me. I let him know about the podcast, and he's like, "Oh, that's like such a great idea, something for guys, blah blah blah." And then the next year, I saw him again at the same gathering, and then we invited him. We invited him on the show. So yeah, um, the let's see. I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to run on for too long. So I'm just going to try to be succinct when I say this. Um, the the Muslim political landscape in terms of activism, in terms of the people that we are electing in office, in terms of our agenda, in terms of the the language and the verbose that we're now using, has dramatically changed and shifted within the past half decade, right? Um, you know, just the way we address certain... You can look up certain sheikhs Facebook posts from 2014, right? They're talking about... I'm just going to use them because they're all over the place. Some LGBTQ thing. The sheikh will come out and say something very firm and affirmative and strong, right? Like Islam it, is against this. Kind Isla, of yeah, Islam, yeah. We do not mm-hmm. support this movement, but if people are doing what they want to do, do what they want to do. But this, we do not have anything to do with this. Okay. Right? This is a sin. Yada yada yada. Not for us. But we're in America. Whatever, right? And even then, back in the day, people would criticize them, and say you're too soft on this, right? In five years, the same speaker is now attending rallies, uh, attending conferences. Uh, giving these people legitimacy, working mm-hmm. with them in tandem, right? Because you know we qu- we have a, a sort of shared, uh, uh, shared um, like shared goals, right? Um, and that happened very very fast. So <clears throat> I wanted to get Cyrus on to kind of talk about what his experience working in care in uh, like the early two thousands. Yeah, and it's like the the landscape's completely different. So yeah, that was that was the main. The main thing, um, and you know, ever since that episode, we recorded that episode probably like it was last year, last July. Yeah. It was the last July, um, and it was released this year. And just in that one year, the amount of things that happened that escalated that escalated in the Muslim community, like things beyond your wildest dreams, right? Like how how are Muslims doing this? Like, I, I mean, like, I don't. I, you don't have to bring it up. We don't have to. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, just think things have moved on where they should. We would hope they would not move. And in terms of what's being publicized, there's a lot of activism that happens behind the scenes. It's not glamorized, and there are a lot of people doing very good work. Yes. But what's being advertised heavily, or what the biggest speakers are pushing out to the most amount of Muslims, yes. especially the especially younger people, early late teens, or right in college, out of college, the most assess, susceptible, susceptible to this message. It seems like they're way more uh, in tandem with ideologies you would hope Muslims would be more firm against. Exactly. There we go. Uh, and just I want to I want to quote Dr. Sherman Jackson on this in in his podcast. You can go listen to it uh, with the diffuse congruence. He said something along the lines of, <clears throat> you know, when you align when you align yourself to the rising power, right? When you align yourself to them, you speak like them. You you ally with their values. You team up with them, that kind of thing. As they ascend to power and you go up with them, when they come crashing down, so will you, right? So that is extremely, extremely important for everyone to deeply think about why. The more you align yourself with leftist groups who are, I mean, 
they all say, you know, this is a secular society, but let, let's, let the, the cat's out of the bag, right? Like this is its own religion, its own ideology, its own belief system. Um, and uh, the Safina Society podcast recently talked about this. It's constantly changing, right? Someone who wasn't, who wouldn't be canceled like last year, this year, they are the worst, worst person ever, right? Uh, what's her name? The author of Harry Potter. Yeah, Jake <laughs> She's a turf now, a trans exclusionary yeah. radical yeah. feminist. What? Sorry, wait, what? wait, wait. Turf. Oh yeah. yeah. Trans exclusionary radical feminist. So she's she's feminist, but she doesn't believe that men can become women. So and that was enough to cancel her. So she's not a feminist anymore. Like no, she's, she's extreme feminist, where she only believes women can be fe- women or biological women. women. Biological women can be. And that's hundreds. extreme. Okay. So if I'm Ooh. like as a grown man, yeah, she doesn't yeah. believe that a grown man can become a transition to a woman and all of a sudden like take on these, oh, I'm a woman and of I'm course. oppressed like a woman and the patriarchy. It's like you didn't go through, you don't have periods. You didn't go through high school teasing and bullying and puberty while guys are also going through puberty. You didn't go through all these struggles. And now you're going to jump on that. So she's against that. But mm-hmm. everyone hates it. Well, Twitter hates her. They're not going to affect the billionaire, by the way. But No, you know, no. But t- it's, cancel it's, all you want. <laughs> It's the idea of being able to, uh, yeah. She's she's a she's a big big cultural figure, and for her to be denounced, I'm not saying she will be monetarily affected. She's got her billions. She's smart. She's got real estate investments. Yada yada yada. What I'm talking about is you have a cultural icon, and they're being you know cut at the knees for saying that a woman is a woman. Like that is nuts. If you do not think that that is crazy, <laughs> if you are not worried about that, then then. Then you're next. <laughs> you're, you're straight up, straight up. Like I, people aren't asking questions. Why did the Why did Allah Subhanahu wa Taala never send uh, 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 why to like a, to like a female? Like why was there never a female prophet? Like what are you talking about? You know, like why is that even something that's coming up in your mind? Right? You know, patriarchy. This like we got to take take down the patriarchy. Well, the patriarchy goes back to what? Abraham, the first patriarch. It goes back to Adam, <laughs> alayhi salam. So it goes back to God because He created Adam first. Like oh. it's it's nuts, right? Um, so that's where we're headed. Um, if this stuff is not in your masjid, it will, it's on its way, right? Because uh, a lot of people that are politically motivated, a lot of people that have a lot of secular education and they, they have some political connections. The loudest speakers, they're the most well-spoken as well. And they, they have, have the, the most connections. Most connections yes. They're the ones bringing this stuff in. They're the ones running the masajid. They're the ones running uh, organizations. And it seems like right now the only thing Muslims will come out communally against is... Israel, right? If you're like a Zionist, <laughs> shill, uh, you know, a, a CVE, pusher of CVE, like, you know, you're bad. Counter violence. You know? Yeah. Uh, but even then, with, I think the lever is like, you know, moving. So, so we don't uh, drone <laughs> on doomsday. Let's talk about the... Bismillah. Bismillah. Let's talk about the solution to all this. And this is actually a recurring theme I heard. I know explicitly heard. And all of them, except Sheikh Al-Adin, it wasn't explicit, though it was there. And that the importance of an Islamic, well-grounded Islamic education. Actually, go back and listen to them. All of them talk about it's very important for a Muslim to go get their education. Even Cyrus is on activism. But there's a whole section that says people go need to go learn how to make wudu, how to pray, how to fast. It's all, every single lecture it's spoken about. And Sheikh Al-Adin, it's implied anyway. So why is that Why is that so important? Why is it stressed? No matter what topic we talk, we speak on, someone brings it up. You think to yourself, like, what's the connection with all this? Hmm. So the more I'm, I'm like part-time seminary, I'll call it. But the more you learn Islam, the more you start to see how your mindset doesn't align with other people who haven't studied Islam. Yes. So I'll give an example. And this is one when it came to my, was brought to my attention. I was like, I never thought of this. Uh-oh. Something simple, simple as you're giving an interfaith talk. Even actually Muslim talk. 
the Quran says, and you, you quote some verse, saying the Quran says actually very weird. No, you, when you re- think of, because if you translate it to Arabic, you will is never like hear. A, is that like a Salafi thing? No, no. This oh, is no. Like, like Islam, <laughs> like scholarship. Think about it this way. In Arabic, no one would say, Qal al-Quran. Oh, that's true. You've never heard Qal al-Quran in any khutbah. Qal Allah, no. Qal Allah. Yeah. Allah said. Allah it's said. very, because it changes the authority. When you say it's just a book, it becomes this piece of literature. Ah. It becomes a secularized thing. We say Allah, the creator of everyone, the heavens and the earth, the legislator said, Mm. Whatever I'm about to quote you actually is a big difference, and that's the secularization of our language. And that's that's um, you don't understand, but if that creeps inside of you, it will have yeah, you don't realize effect. it. Yeah, exactly. when I heard that, I was like, Man, I never in a thousand years would have thought of this. Yeah, but that's the difference between someone who studies Islam and someone who just who studies it part or casually or learns it on you know, or learns it through an, a secular context, even you would never think to consider that. But when you start looking at source texts, like, doesn't matter who's no, all sects agree the Quran, yeah, yeah. If you want to proof that the Quran is preserved, yeah, just the fact that every single Shia, Sunni, Ahmadiyya, they all look at the same exact Quran, that's enough proof for you, by the way. Like as opposed to Christian denominations who argue about which Bible is authoritative. Uh, but that aside, I'll give you another example. I just heard this one recently. The, the When you say, I'm proud to be a Muslim. You think that's a good thing. But then <laughs> our teacher is like, Sheikh Hashim is like, Alhamdulillah. Proud? Are you unapologetically? No, no. Proud? He's like pride. Pride's a deadly sin. We don't want pride. Pride keeps you from get, gets you into the hellfire. I'm thankful. I'm grateful uh, to be a Muslim. It's not something I'm proud. Like I did this for myself, and I'm no, I'm a Muslim. You could have been it's one th- of those other ones. It's a thankfulness. You say I'm so I have gratitude, and I want to show my gratitude. I mean that one. It's not I'm not saying like if you say I'm proud to be a Muslim, that means oh you're going to hell because you have pride. No, but no. it's just the language, the way you speak, and the way you think, and the way you see things. Yes, it actually is affected. So, and we we've brought these up, but just to summarize, if you want an education in Islam, I mean, we're we're in a California context, so this is what we know. If you like Sheikh Mustafa Omar, how he talks, how he teaches, his teaching method is very good. I I've gone through classes with him, California Islamic University. I believe it's calislamic.com. They have a clean website. They have quarterly classes. They have financial aid if you cannot afford it, especially for college students. I mm-hmm. recommend one, maybe two classes a, a quarter. Very simple. Take five years to finish it. It's okay. Yeah. Just you need to know how to conduct yourself as a Muslim. Like yes. it's, a, it's the yes. bare minimum. Yes. For those who are actually, if you're still not at the full serious level, IOK, Institute of Knowledge in, in Diamond Bar, California. They have a part-time seminary where they do just Saturday school classes. They're one hour each. They go for 10 weeks. Mm-hmm. They have different ones. <clears throat> They're not going to give you a degree at the end, but it's more of like, I just want to learn Islam with a sheikh at my own pace. Highly recommend those. For those who are more serious, there are there's IOK also has a the full-time full-time seminary. So you can go through five years, up to five years if you'd like. You can quit after any year you need to, but up to five years of legit Islamic learning, Arabic, Quran, Fiqh, Hadith, how these all work, the terminology behind it, to really get an understanding of where is Islam and scholars of the past, where are they coming from? Yeah. When these new ideas come in from outside, like, I don't know how to articulate that they're wrong, but I know they're wrong. Something, yeah, your nafs is, or your, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, feel, you feel something, you feel agitated. You yeah. say to yourself, man, this doesn't seem right. People introducing themselves with pronouns is weird, but how come I cannot articulate that in a coherent <laughs> manner? When you start getting an Islamic education, I mean, no, it seems funny and trivial. I mean, because of how ridiculous. No, it is. it's not trivial. It's not funny. But I'm laughing out of sadness and pity. But yeah, exactly. So you start getting that Islamic education. You think like, wow, I can actually articulate why yes. these things are problematic and weird, and how 
they wouldn't come up in Arabic because you can't have gender neutral pronouns and this whole, like, how things articulated changes. Because if you cannot articulate something for yourself, someone else will do it for you. That is the bottom line. Exactly. And that's why the liberal arts people run the world, essentially. Because they're very good at talking. Very good at talking. They, they can define a thing. But we do have listeners outside of the outside of California. So for them, um, there's the Qalam. They have gone full online uh, since coronavirus hit. Uh, and mashallah, they have an amazing program. I think that one is also very serious, full time. They have a, they have a full time. Um, they have other they have Arab, they have a very good Arabic program. I know a year Arabic program. They have the full seminary. You can do just a year if you want and drop out after that and get like a certification, or do the four full year alamiya. Like they want to like produce American scholars, so to speak. Very good. And then there's East Coast. I'm there's East Coast. Uh, Safina Safina Society. Yeah. You can go on their website. You can sign up. Cost I don't know fifty bucks a month or something. Nothing, right? And then you have their full course uh, um, work available. You can read along. You can watch along your own pace. I think they also also have scholarship programs for those who can't afford it. Uh, you know, Dr. Shadi is a, a no-nonsense kind of guy. And he's an amazing teacher. I took uh, one class with him. Uh, always a pleasure. Yeah, all these places have scholarships, by the way. For people who think like, yeah. they can't afford it, they actually, mashallah, they all no, have a scholarship You will not program. be turned away because you, don't, you, you can't afford it. One, one, I will guarantee you that. I know that from personal experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are other ones I, I can't remember I don't want to misquote The name of the institutes But I know on yo, East Coast e- Even Bayina's Arabic program Is back up and running However controversial You want to think <laughs> that is But people that attended Like the two week They did like an online Like two week The 10 day yeah. intensive yeah. For people that went through it Stadnall man just Like okay Do the rest for free He didn't even make him pay Yeah So Whatever you want to Whatever you want to think About what happened What happened But this Is one of the best Arabic programs that is available for you to learn Arabic. Yeah. Um, just Arabic. You don't got to take anything else. Just take the Arabic. Um, so anyway, the, the opportunities are there. Uh, inshallah, that's the summary of season one. Nah. Uh, maybe we can transition to, Ahmed, what do you have in store for Prophetic Mentality Podcast? For season yes. Two? So for season two, alhamdulillah, we, we have already recorded quite a bit of episodes that are currently in post-production. Um, we, you know, we've done episodes on premarital counseling on, uh, what else we do? Pornography. Oh, pornography. Pornography addiction. Um, uh, authority. So, Sheikh Tarek. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Authority, authoritative knowledge, that kind of thing. Um. Death of expertise. I think that's another Yeah, that was the death of expertise with Sheikh Tarek. We have a lot of other speakers, inshallah, in the pipeline. We are working on, um, creating dedicated series for certain topics that are going to be a merger of the podcast content with some short form content that will be available on the channel. So, and and if you did not watch, was it like episode five, I think, when I kind of addressed the audience? This, this podcast is just phase one, right? It's just part one of an overall idea and overall vision that we have for prophetic mentality. Um, so, inshallah, we... we you know, we, we are looking to do, you know, like real world meetups, you know, camps, uh, you know, go out backpacking. You know, that could be like a, an offline thing. We're going to be creating more short form content. We want to create some educational uh, 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 content um, as well. Not taught by me or Munir, but in collaboration with those that know because, you know, we're, we're not qualified. But, you know, we do have the production ability to output a lot of good things. So we ha- do have a lot in the works. And alhamdulillah, so far, all of you who have been listening uh, with us for this first season, you know, hearing hearing all of your 
feedback, uh, you know, you guys engaging with us on social media, leaving us reviews on iTunes. You know, I am I'm just I feel I feel like we're so blessed, uh, alhamdulillah, to have garnered such a, you know, such a good following from the get go, you know, have like about 75 or 100 listeners that are constantly watching and listening every single upload. And that's amazing. That's amazing, right? Because our marketing budget is peanuts. So whoever whoever is listening, it's like word of mouth. Right. And it's going around. Mm-hmm. I'm watching like people in France listening, people in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Like it's 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 wild <laughs> how things just, you know, percolate over the Internet. Right. So right now I'm still not at a point where I'm comfortable asking to for people to donate their money. There is a Patreon available, uh, but I'm not uh, I'm not asking you to go donate to it. But what I will ask you to do is please continue sharing uh, our platform with people who you think would benefit. We do have a lot of little mini clips available on the YouTube page and Instagram. Uh, you know, just share those out. Let people know why you like listening to this particular episode or this particular speaker. Kind of get them hooked on. Um, you know, th- this is you know this is what I would wish from our listeners to continue doing, inshallah. Um, and I'm very active on Facebook. You know, you guys send me a message, I'll respond. Um, but yeah, I think. Also, we're working on merch. Uh, it's it's in it's in nice. the works. Um, he says we for everything, but it's really just on. <laughs> <laughs> so humble, Marshall. No, Munir, Munir. Royal we. <laughs> okay, you want to know who the real we is? It's me and my wife. Yeah, I'm say your wife. <laughs> Subhanallah, this I'm gonna just I'm gonna, I'm gonna formalize it now. This podcast would not happen if it was not for the help of my wife. Alhamdulillah, she has been extremely supportive. It's all true. She has made sure every speaker uh, that has come has been. Uh, you know, fully catered for catered for like, I love when a speaker comes, man. I know I'm going to eat that day. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we got the tea, the coffee, everyone gets what they want. You want a mocha, you want a latte, you want, you want like, wow. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, and because my wife is a firm believer in the message that we're putting out in the platform and what we can achieve. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, you know, the panels here, the ones that, uh, you know, they've just been sitting here. We've never really talked about them and why I decided to go with this kind of decor. Well, for those that don't know, these panels are actually replicas of what you will see in the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul. Right. So we found some high quality images, got someone to uh, print them out the exact same calligraphy. And, you know, mashallah, my wife put these together and without these the, the this whole this whole setup would not work right these cool little prophetic mentality you know stickers on on the mics oh crap you guys the mics are reversed but right here on mine right that was all done by her alhamdulillah every all the beauty right all the beauty that's in this room is from alhamdulillah is from my wife so uh you know I'll just take this moment to thank her and all the support also for munir he ha- has to drive out every time we do a recording <laughs> <laughs> An hour here, an hour back. He's also been very instrumental in um, bringing speakers on the show. Uh, I don't have as many contacts. Munir's Rolodex runs deep. Mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just pester a lot of shoes. <laughs> I feel bad messaging people, man. Um, <laughs> and also, I'd like to thank Salman for sitting with us today. Um, he has been one of the most dedicated listeners before uh, the podcast w- was a thing. And currently, always hearing feedback from him. So uh, echoing from Salman to all of you guys. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of wraps it up. Don't we want to go on forever? No, we don't. We don't. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
Yeah, we gotta go. Jazakallah khair for listening. Um, and we'll just end it here. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. This is Amr Mubruk with the Prophetic Mentality Podcast. Signing off.